0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast. Making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Thursday, February the 10th, 2022. It is currently 11.45 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in Ovalo, Texas. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've picked up relatively quickly, I, I don't think it took you very long, that there's just certain phrases, certain ideas, or, or certain phrases, certain words that are used within Christianity. In other words, there's like a, a language, a Christian language. Let's state it that way. There's just these phrases These statements, these sayings, these words that are used, and they're used frequently, they're used commonly, and it's just like it's the language Christians speak, right? You just hear it, and it's just so common. Now, a lot of times people just like, I think they just learn the phrases and the words, and they use them. I don't know if anyone really ever stops to go, wait a minute, what are we saying when we use that word? what are we saying when we use that phrase? What exactly does that mean? Is that really a biblical concept? Is that really a theological concept? Or is it just, can I say this, a part of our tradition? I know Protestants like, no, we don't follow tradition. We just follow the Bible. Oh, but there, you hear the tradition and these phrases that are just used. There's these like, it just becomes like buzzwords. It just becomes the, the expected language that people are going to say, and you just pick it up. You just learn it, and then you repeat it. You start talking that way. Like, you didn't talk that way before you became a Christian. Now that you're living in the Christian world, going to church, talking to other Christians, you just pick up their vocabulary, and sometimes I think it's just something we pick up. I don't know if it's sometimes phrases that we've actually really given any thought Two. Now, you may disagree, but I think this—that that is the case. And, well, I'm going to talk about a phrase, a concept that I've heard Christians talk about for a good portion of my Christian life, and I don't know if I've ever quite truly understood it. And the reason I'm going to do this is I don't even know I don't know what I was subscribed to. I don't even know where this comes from, to be honest. I I, I subscribed to so many different things on different podcast apps, but I I saw something that showed up on my uh, one of my podcast apps. It may have been I don't think it was the Edify Christian Podcast app. I don't even know, but it was a it was I it was in one of the uh, some of the podcast apps I have different playlists, and one one is called like Christianity and just anything related to Christianity. I subscribed to, and so I did a refresh, and something popped up that said two vital. I'm like, two vital practices. Okay, I'm a Christian. What two vital practices do I need in my Christian life? What would be vital to my Christian life? What would be vital to yours? I mean, they're vital, right? If they're vital, then I need to know them. So I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go. Uh, Grabbed the device, hit play two vital practices. I'm ready to go. I'm going to write these down. I'm going to learn them. And then if I'm going to start trying to pract- make sure I'm practicing these two vital things, and then I'll tell everyone else about it. Okay. Th- this could be a sermon. This could be a, uh, you know, a two-part series. I'm ready to go. And I, I, was, I had everything ready. I hit play. And this is what I heard.
1: I want to express a word of appreciation so much to pastors Newton and Rush and to Brother Tim Dahlhausen for their good ministry while I was away. And uh, thank you for your prayers. A number of you have mentioned to us that you did pray for us and ask about our time away. Great, great uh, encouragement to us. We just spent hours and hours and hours talking. And uh, back when we got back, Linda said, and I wrote down things we didn't get to talk about, so... I guess we've, I've still got more to look forward to. Very, very thankful for that. We had a wonderful time and good uh, spiritual refreshment. Very grateful for it.
0: That That's the kind of thing that I am not good at as a pastor, right? I just, I, those, these are just certain things. Like if you're, you're just supposed to say sometimes these like very, not, I don't know. I don't know what, like whenever people are at a conference, it's the same thing. I want to thank everyone here for your hospitality. It's like, just, I don't know, just open the Bible. Let's start. Okay. I'm not good at that, like breaking the ice kind of thing. So it's always interesting when I heard it. So when I, when I hit play, I'm like, okay, all right, here's, here's right there. That's kind of the typical thing you're supposed to do when you preach you know, if you, if you went somewhere, it was, you always have to say it was a time of great spiritual refresh, refreshment. The fellowship was sweet and the food was great and everyone was wonderful. And thank you for your, for your hospitality. There's just like, it's almost like here. It's like, here's the template. Here is what you are supposed to say. And I don't like that. I, I know maybe it's a rebellious spirit in me. I mean, I know, look, I know that in my flesh. I am anti conformity in every way possible. I hate conformity. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. So it's just, I just hate when I listen to things from Christianity. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Okay. Yeah. Someone got the memo that they're supposed to say these things. I'm not saying they're not genuine. I'm just saying that I'm just, I'm just being honest with my thinking here. So right here, I was already like, okay, well, this is the typical thing. This is typical. But I want to know what the vital, I want to know what the vital practices are. I want to, what are the vital practices? I I still want to get to that. But something was getting ready to be said that stopped everything, all right? I didn't make it very far because I stopped it was like, we've got to talk about this. So are you ready? He. I think he's going to do a little bit more of the standard thing like here, but he's going to, he's going to transition into this thing. And some of you are going to be like, oh, I've used that phrase a million times. Some of you are going to be like, (laughs) Everyone talk, uses that phrase. Why don't you? You'll probably be thinking, "What's your problem with it?" Maybe, maybe it's just my problem. Here, here we go.
1: And we did a little bit of driving uh, up in the mountains and some small towns. I couldn't help noticing, of course, all the churches—churches churches of every name and stripe. You've noticed that yourselves, I know. And I may pay a little more attention to this than the average Christian does, but I always look carefully at what are on the church signs and looked a couple of them up on the web to get a little more familiarity with their leadership and the kinds of things that they were emphasizing. And it always makes me so very, very thankful for our own church. I'm sure that there are many places for which people are very thankful and where the Lord's at work, but I'm so grateful for what we have here and the thing that stands out to me and that to me is the single most important matter and that is a sense of God's presence. That's when I was like, wait, what? The single
0: most important thing is the feeling of God's presence. The single most important thing about a church is the feeling of God's presence. Now, I I hate to say it this way because some people may say it's being irreverent, but I'm going to say it. What in the name of bubblegum does that mean? A feeling of God's presence. What, What does that feel like? How do you know it's there? Like, how do you know your feeling of feeling it is the actual feeling and you're not feeling something that's not actually the presence of God? Like, you're trusting. Now, this goes down to as subjective as subjective can be. I feel God's presence. I've heard charismatics talked about, oh, I felt God's presence on Sunday and I go listen to the sermon and I'm like, that's, that was absolute, complete heresy. So clearly you weren't feeling God's presence. And then they could hear preaching that I would think, man, I don't use the phrase. I don't, I don't, I feel God's presence. I think when I was a younger Christian, I did because again, it was learned language Oh, we felt the presence of God. And I would hear pastors preach, do you feel God's presence tonight? Or it'd be a revival. Oh, I feel God's presence in this revival services. I've, I heard it used, but at some point I started thinking, I think this is some nonsense. I, I know, I know, I just offended a bunch of people, but what what does that even mean? Somebody ask you, is the single most important thing about church is the feeling of, of God's presence. Now, he, I don't think he can actually mean that. There's no way, is that, can't, can't what does it even mean? I'm gonna back this up. I'm, I'm still just baffled by this, right? I want you to hear it again because it just seems crazy to me. All
1: right, here we go. And we're the Lord's at work, but I'm so grateful for what we have here. And the thing that stands out to me, and that to me is the single most important matter, and that is a sense of God's presence. I've often thought if we were ever uh, in a situation where we had moved away, like many of our folks through the years have done, have had to do, and we're looking for another place to attend, what is the first thing that I would look for? It would be a sense of God. So if you go look for a church, the first thing you
0: should look for first is a sense of God. Can someone tell me how you look for that? Okay, I'm walking in. Do I sense God? Do I sense God? Do you have a detector? Is there an app? Is is this a is this an app on your phone? It goes beep God is here I know that i I know you think I'm being I'm being irreverent. I'm not trying to be irreverent. I'm trying to just my mind does not understand that. Like the first thing you did. You sense God? Well, I don't know what that means. Someone listening said, This is actually terrifying. I agree. What's terrifying about this is I can all, I, I have to look this up. In fact, let me look this up because I've got to figure out where this sermon came from. I, I'm going to look something up here really quick because I don't even remember. I listened to too many things. Let's see here. Can will it allow me to search? All right, here we go. Two vital. Okay, if I can spell vital right, two mm-hmm. vital practices all right two vital practices I'm not seeing it there all right so it may not have come uh, let me do a search here I think this is from a Baptist Church I think this is from a Baptist church I don't even remember what app I found this okay two vital Practices. I know, I know this is, I know this is not the most exciting thing, but that's okay. Two vital practices, let's see, is it Mount Calvary Baptist Church? I think it's a Baptist church here. Okay, um... Yeah, Mount Calvary Baptist Church, Mount Calvary Baptist Church. So it is a Baptist church. This is not, would not be a, a charismatic church. Um, and this was preached on February the 6th. It was preached on February the 6th. Um, and it's, uh, Mount Calvary Baptist Church, where are they located? Let's see if I can find out where they're located. Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, 115 Cedar Lane Road, Greenville, Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, the, I, I, there's nothing here that would make me think that, and, I mean, they. I, I don't know why, maybe it's an independent Baptist church, but there's nothing here that, sh- that rings like charismatic, charismatic, charismatic. I don't think there's anything here that's charismatic, but he's saying that when you go to a church, you, the first thing you look for is the sense of God. I don't even know what that means. To me, from my theological framework, that's straight up charismatic talk that's like crazy charismatic like i don't even know what that is but uh, let's just see how far he takes this and then we'll we'll talk about this because i i i've heard christians talk about this i felt the presence of god i felt the presence of god i felt the presence of god and i i don't know what that means Sometimes it's like you felt the presence of God. Of course, you felt the presence of God. The worship band—they turned down the lights in the sanctuary, and the worship band got really soft. And then all the ladies sang an acapella. Ooh, it was beautiful. Is that the is that the presence of God, or is just just the the feelings that you got based off the lighting and the building and the sound of the music and the voices of the people singing? or some people say well i walked into a catholic cathedral and i felt the presence of god you felt the you felt the emotions that were brought to you because of the 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 building and the artwork and and the things in the building that that's what that that that's the impact of the building on your emotions that's the impact of the music on your emotions that's the impact of the lighting uh, it could be even the impact of the of the of the time, like if you've ever walked into a, a Catholic sanctuary at like midnight, there's just something about them. that's the time. They're like there's so, those are things that are impacting your emotions. What, what, but we immediately—it's say, it's the presence of God. Like I I don't ah, okay let's, let's see let's see if he's going to explain himself because this is where I stopped the sermon immediately. I stopped and go okay I've got to play this for everyone. We're not going to review the whole sermon here. Because I still want to know what the two vital practices are. But what I really want to do right now is just try to discuss this concept of the presence of God. And I I pulled something up from a very well known Christian website where they try to answer this. And I I think I'm more frightened by their answer than maybe even this sermon. Let's listen to this.
1: Well, question everything else just pales, nothing else even begins to be a factor. You can forgive and overlook almost everything else if it's apparent to you and when you're in those services that the spirit of the Lord is there. Okay. <laughs> okay. So this is the most
0: important thing. You can basically forgive anything else wrong in a church, as long as you can feel that the spirit of God is there. Now I, I just got to throw this out there. God is omnipresent. So he is present everywhere at all times. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. Okay. The person listening, at least they're as bothered by this as I am. Okay. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Cause I, I, I cause I don't understand this, but he, he is saying literally you can forgive anything else. As long as you feel the spirit of God. What does that mean? What does it feel like? Like, I was just sitting here thinking like, so the Bible would be like, okay, here's how you know if you're in a good church. You feel, you feel the spirit of God in the service. I would hope that there would be a more objective standard that God's word is being rightly divided. Doctrine is being rightly taught. The ordinances are being correctly practiced. Lord's Supper, baptism, the, the theology, the doctrinal statement is biblical. Wouldn't that be what? You, those are all objective things you can look for. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah, I feel like this is a spirit of deception. I feel like that this, i what I feel like this is is that this basing, I guess basing soundness of a church on a feeling is. A spirit of deception. And I think that whenever you rely on feeling, you can, you will be deceived. It's that simple. Like, you will be deceived. I, I, I just, I, I that's just great. But let's go a little bit further here.
1: And we ought not be surprised about that because the Lord has promised it. And when it is not clearly present, when Uh, it's not a manifest thing that people are sensing, then something is wrong in that church, no matter what its other strengths may be. All right, so God
0: promised it. So God promised his presence. And if people don't sense his presence, then there's something wrong in the church, no matter what other strengths there may be. The preaching may be right. The theology may be right. But if you don't sense God's presence, then something is wrong. Now, how... What do you base this sense on? Like, this is the most subjective thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, you sense it. What, what does it feel like? And is everyone gonna feel it every Sunday? Like, well, like, what creates the feeling? Is this just some, I'm I'm getting, I'm getting ready to be mean here. Is this just some garbage catchphrase that we use? Did you feel God today? Well, obviously I have to, because if we don't feel God in this place, then this church is bad. I mean, just, just look at the problems you set up. If someone in your congregation says, I don't feel God's presence anymore. And you're like, so what do you do? Oh, okay, well, then something's wrong in the church. We had to fix it. Or do you say, no, the problem's you because I feel the presence of God. You don't feel the presence of God. God's presence is here. So the problem is you. Would the pastor ever acknowledge then the problem is the church? Like what if someone comes there and doesn't feel the presence of God? What, is their feeling wrong because you believe God's presence is there? Like who's whose feeling is the one that gives the objective standard of truth? Hey, if we don't feel God's presence here, something is wrong. Okay, I raise my hand. I don't feel God's presence here. Well, you're wrong. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. No, 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 I don't feel God's presence here. Something's wrong in this church. Sir, could you please shut up? We're trying to get along. No, no, I, I'm telling you, I don't feel God's presence. Like, who whose feeling is the standard by which we judge whether this is a good church or a bad church? This is the most Like this, sometimes what I hear within Christianity, I just have to look, I almost feel like I'm an outsider going, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. But let's go. Let's go here.
1: We are assembled, of course, to honor the Lord and to offer up worship to the Lord and to draw near to God. Christ died for us to bring us to God. And when we're told that, Where two or three are gathered together in his name, he's present.
0: Okay, 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 okay. Now, now, now. I don't know what he's getting ready to say here, but we've got to address this. Oh, man, 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 man. This is one of the most misunderstood passages of all. Oh, man. Okay. Matthew chapter 18. Oh, boy. Oh, 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 man, man. I, I, I didn't want to have to correct this. I, I should have known that if he was going to talk about God's presence, I should have known. Why does everyone run to Matthew 8? Everyone runs to Matthew 18. And it drives me crazy because as a pastor, people in the church will throw this in your face too. Okay, now uh, I'll talk about this, all right? Because, 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 because sometimes this is, u- this is used in so many different ways. But one of the ways it's used, if you're a pastor, all right? OK, if you if you are a pastor and let's say a lot of people don't show up now, I know as a pastor that you've got to be careful what you say, because it, it can be very offensive to the people who are there, because you're sometimes as a pastor, you're focused on the people not present instead of focused on the people who are. And I know that that's bad. And as a pastor, you, you can make it sound like like, OK, I know you're here, but it doesn't really count. I'm looking for more people. I I know you've got as a pastor, you have got to be very careful what you say. Sometimes the people in the pew don't understand the pastor's perspective because you're like, okay, I was gonna preach this and now there's, you know, two people here. Okay, how do I, like, you've gotta change the whole way you present that. I, I hope everyone understands that. When you've got two or three people, it's very difficult to preach it the same way you were going to preach it if most of the congregation was present. It changes the way you you teach, it changes, it just changes the whole vibe. And I know sometimes the person uh, sitting in the pew can't understand that, but you have to at least give the pastor a, some understanding. So what will typically happen is that the pastor seems discouraged or frustrated. Some will say, well, pastor, where two or three are gathered, God is present. And it's like, okay, that's not what that passage is talking about. And you're not making me feel any better. Just stop talking, okay? And then, and now he's using this. Now, I don't know how he's going to use this, but it's just any time, well, two or three, God is present. We're two or three are gathered, God is present. We're two or three, and it's like, oh my goodness. So let's at least put this in its actual context here, maybe. Would, Would that make some sense? All right, here we go. Here's the context. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall bear, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. All right, setting up a very basic principle that hey, you got an issue with someone, go to them. Don't go to everyone else. If you and it really even goes down to this if you know someone else's sin, go to them. Don't share it to the whole world. All right. You you gotta deal with the individual, and then hopefully they will repent and move on. Okay. Basic principle. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established, all right? So if the person doesn't respond, then you bring two or three witnesses and see if they'll fix the problem, all right? Basic structure, basic, basic uh, situation here. Now, if he neglects to hear it, so in other words, he's been confronted in private, won't repent, been confronted with witnesses, won't repent, then you bring it unto the church, but if he neglects to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and as a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The binding and loosening here is referring to church discipline. This is this would refer to the discipline of the church. If you bound someone by putting them out of the church in a sense, that's recognized by God. If you loose that bounding and bring them back in, that is recognized by God. All right. That seems to be the concept here. Now, binding and loosening is applied to all kinds of other things. But in this context, it's only referencing, in a sense, church discipline. Now, this raises all kinds of questions, especially in the Protestant world, because the Protestant world, you can literally be church disciplined in one church, go right across the street and be right next next week. You're teaching Sunday school. Uh, there's a, a family in my church, their old church, someone in their church started teaching open theism. That person got uh, church disciplined. He was removed. He immediately went to another church, and I think within weeks he was teaching Sunday school at the other church. They, in other words, that other church did not recognize the discipline of the previous church, right? Literally, I could church discipline someone on uh, today, this week, and they could go to another church on Sunday and take the Lord's supper. Right. Like it's just that's the Protestant world. That's one of the, the negative things about the Protestant world. You just one thing goes, you just go to another church and you just move right along and everything is fine and great. So how does the binding and loosening even work? How does that it raises all kinds of questions based back uh, an idea of one church? Well, there's no place else to go. So, OK we get the basic idea here, but this is all in the context of church discipline. So then it says in verse 19, and again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my father, which is in heaven. This is again in the context of church discipline. This is in the context of disciplining someone. And then it says for, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am I in the midst of thee, of them. This is in reference again to church discipline. That when the church gathers to discipline someone, God is present. In other words, it's acknowledging he will acknowledge and recognize a biblical discipline. That's not, this is not about, well, where two or three are gathered. We're two. This is about discipline. And, and to demonstrate, even Peter even after hearing this, Peter continues the discussion about someone sinning and forgiving and discipline because Peter said unto him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee, uh unto the until seven times, but until 70 times 7. So the context here is all there like it's not like Jesus deviates and starts talking about Binding and loosening this or that, or talking about where where two or three gathered. That no, this is all in reference to discipline. Everything in this everything in this section has to be understood related to church discipline. Now he just quoted it, right? Where two or three are gathered. Now well, I don't know what he's going to do with this because he's already said so. So in this sense. I, 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 is he going to use this that as long as two or three pe- people are in that sanctuary, God is present? Are you saying if two or three are not there, God is not present? So I'm I, I'm in this sanctuary by myself. So God is not present? I need another person in here, and then boom, God magically shows up. What <laughs> God can't be present if you're by yourself. You can all he can only be present if there are two of you. All right, So I'm, I'm in, I spent a lot of hours in this sanctuary by myself. I guess God has never been like, what are you saying? Now, I don't know how he's getting ready to use it. I just want you to realize it's in context of church discipline. That's the context. All right. That's the context. Let's see what they're going to do here. So he just mentioned it.
1: And when we're given the uh, revelation of his actually holding the messengers, the passengers past the pastors of those churches in his right hand as they minister, how can we uh, fail to think that this is not um, supposed to be the case in every church and folks, what we want to do, we really want to Guard what God has given to us and maintain it. It is easily lost. I think we know that.
0: Now, what is... So he quoted the, the... He just made a reference to Matthew 18. He didn't bother to even explain it. And then he went to Revelation and the pastor's held in the hand. Okay, so what, what we have can be easily lost. Is he referring to the pastor's? Is he referring to doctrine? Is he referring to theology or is he referring to God's presence? God's presence can be easily lost. Hey, hey, look, the most important thing in a church is God's presence. And now he's seemingly implied it can be easily lost. How can it be easily lost? How can it be, like, I don't understand. How do you lose it? How do you lose it? Now, this would get really scary because I've heard some, because I, this is what I have heard. I'll never forget this. Um, uh, during a an, an, a fall revival at a in in, uh, in a Texas a West Texas church, uh, the, I guess people weren't responding enough to the revival services. So the re, the the person doing the revival services started saying that I you know I don't I I'm just not feeling God's presence because he wasn't feeling God's presence because people weren't responding to the altar calls right enough. So then he started saying I think. I think there's some sin in this church. I think that's the problem. There's sin keeping back God's presence. So now it was like, okay, someone here needs to come to the altar and confess their sin because that's holding back God's presence. God's presence is is being restrained from this place because there's sin and until we get the sin right, then we'll fill God's presence. And it's like, what in the world is going on here? Like, this is crazy. So is he saying that you it's easy to lose God's presence? Now, if all it takes to lose God's presence is sin, well, then God's never going to be present anywhere because we're all sinners. I guess the only time, then it wouldn't be where two or three are gathered together, God would be present. It would be where no one is gathered, God is present. Because as soon as I walk into this building, I am a sinner bringing my sinful self into this sanctuary. So therefore, God would leave until I leave. Then he would come back. Like what I don't know if that's where he's going, but it's, it's, it's just so he talked about God's presence and all of a sudden it's easily lost. Let, let's go, let's see what he says here.
1: And we're also aware of the fact that in a particular service that many of the Lord's people can sense his nearness to them and that others can be completely unaware of it. And it's because they've carnalized their spirits. And, it, Oh
0: wow! Oh wow! Oh wow! Oh wow! Now see how this works, okay? The most... Oh, this is this is some psychological manipulation one hundred and one right here. This is this is so bad. Okay, so let me let's see how this works here. All right, let's 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 play this game. All right, so someone in the church they sense God's presence; they're spiritual. If I don't sense God's presence, it's because I've carnalized my spirit. I'm so carnal that I can't sense it. Now, could it be that the one who doesn't sense God's spirit is actually the spiritual one because maybe God's spirit is not actually there and maybe the people who sense it are the ones who have self-deceived themselves into feeling God's presence when it's not there. Why is it that the people who feel it are right and the people who don't are just now necessarily declared to be carnal and wrong. Like, how is it, (laughs) how is it, how does it work that way? So if you don't feel it, you're carnal. If you do, you're right. Because God's spirit is supposed to be here. Okay, uh, someone just asked, can you explain the difference in his omnipresence And, and, and all the times he tells people, I will be with you, all right? I'll try to get to that. I don't want to jump into that now. I don't want to jump into that now. But I think that there, I think obviously there. there is a, I think there is a difference. I, I, I'll just say it this way. I think that there is a the omnipresence of God, right? And then I think there is the special presence of God. And I think at times God can be present in a special way. Either it's manifested like, and we'll just think of times in the Bible. I said I wasn't going to get into this and I'll start getting into this, but that's okay. Because I It'll drive me crazy if I don't try to answer this. Um, I think like, for example, there are times in the Old Testament where God clearly makes himself present and known and visible in some way, shape, or form that everyone realizes God is present, right? And a, and it's in a special way. He, he was already present. That's the omnipresent way. Then there's a special presence. There is a special presence there. So I, I think that there is a general presence and then there is at times some kind of a manifestation of a special presence. I think there is the fact that God is present everywhere at all times, but then some way that the idea that God is present with us as believers in somewhat of a special way, in a different way. And I think that is in the fact that He indwells us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. One person, uh, one part, one person of the Trinity uh, is indwells believers, So that's a, somehow a special presence, different than the omnipresent. Now. I think we can draw a theological distinction there. Now, how you sense that, I think that's where it turns into complete subjectivity and craziness. In this case, if you don't sense it, you're carnal. And if you do, you're spiritual, which protects the church then from, you know, as long as one person in the church senses it, then everyone else who doesn't, they're all wrong, So, so like the entire congregation could stand up and say, Pastor, we don't feel God's presence. Well, you're all carnal because I do. This just becomes nonsensical talk. I, I hope that answered the question, at least in part. All right, And maybe we'll get a little bit more into this when I start going through the article that I have here in front of me that we're
1: going to look at. here. Oh, so let's continue. There's no question but what um, it is possible for just a few among God's people to rob the entirety of God's presence in blessing and power with them. That's one of the great lessons that comes when the people go into the land and Achan does the thing that is a trespass and robs God's people of blessing and it costs certain people their lives. All right, so we're going to go to
0: the Old Testament book. And because of one person's sin costing everyone's blessing, is he now saying that one person can cost the whole church? The presence of God. Hey, we don't feel the so. Now, so wait a minute. So some people, I got to try to keep this. We need a. Okay, Heather's listening. We're gonna need. We're, we we need a chart. We're gonna need a chart to figure this out. We're gonna. We're gonna need a. We're gonna have to chart this out. So I'll make sure I understand this. So God's presence is promised. If you sense it, that's because you're spiritual. If you don't sense it, it's because you're carnal. But one person can rob everyone from it. <laughs> but wait a minute. So did so if one if this person over here doesn't sense it, it's because they realize someone robbed everyone from it. So why are the other people still feeling it? So I don't know how this works. If so, person A feels it, but person B, B doesn't feel it. Do I immediately assume person B? Is not spiritual or maybe person B feels the fact that person C robbed everyone from it. I don't even know how to follow this. I don't even know how to chart this out. I need a flow chart. I need a flow chart. Like uh, I remember in the military in the 1990s where they started borrowing practices from business to bring into the military. It was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. We won't even get into that nonsense. Okay, but we had to do all these like – it was – Borrowing from businesses. And we, so we would show up for these meetings and we wouldn't even wear a uniform and you didn't address anyone by rank. It was the most insane thing ever. But we would like look at a process and you would have to flow chart it out, right? Like, okay, so if this happens, then this happens. And if that happens, then that happens. And then you'd have to see if you can streamline your, your process, right? Borrowing from business, it, it didn't, it never worked because we're in the military. It doesn't work this way, but okay, it was crazy. But in some way, we have to kind of flow chart this out. God's supposed to be present. Some people can sense it. Some people don't. The difference between the sense, those who sense it and those who don't is those, those who sense it are spiritual. Those who don't are carnal. However, one person can rob the whole church from it. Well, did, did one person rob the whole church of it as long as one person in the church still feels it? Like, I, I don't know. How, how does this work?
1: because of this man and his transgression. And I think that one of the greatest lessons that the Lord has taught me and that I find myself continually having to resort to and trying to learn experientially more and more, and that is to be able to do exactly what Paul refers to in the 7th chapter of Romans when he talks about being able to distinguish in himself his flesh, To actually be able to isolate it. And to be able to say, I know that in me, that is in this part of me, this is what's going on. And it is such a critical thing when we come to the Lord's house, when we prepare to come to meet with the Lord's people, that we be able to differentiate the mind of our flesh That is our flesh taking over our mind, that capacity, that organ within us, the mind of the flesh, to distinguish that from the mind of Christ. When you do that, you're... Okay, does
0: anyone, now I've got people listening, and I know there's like a two minute delay, but does anyone know what in the world he's talking about here? Is this, as other people familiar with this kind of language, like I've got to distinguish the flesh part of me and the mind of Christ. And I got to try to distinguish the two. I got to. Now, I don't know exactly how I'm supposed to break this down. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. All right. All right. Let me sit somewhere and I got to go. Okay. There, there. Okay. I can can feel that. Okay. That's my fleshly part. That's the mind of Christ part. Like how, how do I'm supposed to draw the distinction here? Like I mean, I mean, I, I'm not trying to mock this. I'm trying to understand this because I, I have a feeling that there's some of you who are listening who you may have you may be familiar with this language. You may have come from churches. Okay, it's now, now, Will, Will says he can't help. He's the Southern Baptist in the group, so if he can't figure it out, then then and this is a Baptist church. Maybe maybe it's an independent Baptist. I don't know. Now we've got some uh, another person listening who's from a charismatic. Has has been from the charismatic side of the world. Maybe they understand what's going on here. Uh, okay, this they said they're not they're not picking up what he's talking about either. Okay, so so no, so none of us can figure this out. All right, so so. I know this, where two or three of us are gathered, we we can't figure out your sermon. Okay, I, I know, I know, I know that, but but let's let's give him a little I'm so perplexed here. It sounds super spiritual, right? It does, man. I mean, it sounds spiritual. I mean, this is this is a lesson God taught him. I mean, God taught him this lesson. So I mean, this has gotta be a I mean, God taught him the lesson, so it has to be true. I just don't know what you're talking about. I I don't I don't know how I'm supposed to draw this inward distinction. I know that in my flesh, there is no good thing. I I know that, I, I understand that there's this kind of dichotomy within us, but I don't know how I'm supposed to distinguish which part is which. That's why I've always said, let me make it very clear. This is why my theology is so dogmatic in this area. That's why I don't look inwardly to feel what God is telling me. I don't look inwardly to try to figure out God's will. I don't look at inwardly to figure out what God is telling me because whatever is inside of me falls into this weird, broken dichotomy that yes, God's pre- God is in me through his spirit, right? His, he's there and my flesh is still there. So anything that arises from within me is always corrupted and convoluted because of that sin. So I cannot trust. That's why I I, um, I talked about this. Uh, I, okay, yes. Now I've heard this. Uh, Ichabod. Has, uh, preachers use the term Ichabod. As a term for when God's glory has left your church. Yes. And nobody can explain exactly what that means either. But. Uh, so I want to make sure this is very clear. I, that's why I, I hate this. Like when, when we talk about conscience. That's why I, I have a very like Anti christian stance i guess many would call it an anti-christian stance because how can i trust my conscience my conscience is inside of me what else is inside of me sin so i can't go well wait a minute that that thinking is godly that thinking is not i need something i've got to constantly look to something outside of me any looking inwardly it's going to result in confusion i've got to look externally right here bible I got to look there. Inwardly, it's like, well, I feel this way. I think this way. Is that feeling or thinking God? Or is that feeling and thinking flesh? I, I feel that this is what I can do. Or I feel that I shouldn't do this. Is that me? Or is that God? Well, the only thing I got to look to scripture and go, this is what God's word says. Now, how does that apply? I can't. Anything I look inwardly just becomes a convoluted mess because it's, there's corruption inside of me. So any good that's inside of me is tainted by the sin that is inside of me. So I, I, let's see if, he, see if he explains this at all.
1: Able then to identify the thinking that is your flesh when you sit in a service like this. And immediately the criticisms, the bitterness, the distraction, the grievances, the grudges, the offenses, you're able to say, that is the flesh. So I've got to distinguish which
0: part of me is coming from my flesh and which part is the mind of Christ. No, 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 Here's what you do. Don't look inwardly to figure it out. Look at, out, outwardly. Look to God's Word. God's Word says that, that attitude is wrong. All right. So I judge the attitude by not looking inwardly to try to deter. I look to God's Word. God's Word tells me which attitudes are right and which attitudes are wrong. Then I judge the attitude as being right and wrong, not based off, well, okay, I think I distinguished that that part's coming from the flesh. That I just look to God's Word. Like, why over convolute and confuse everyone? Look to God's word to judge your feelings, attitudes, and emotions. If your attitudes, feelings, and emotions do not correspond and conform themselves to God's word, then they are sinful. All right? Any lack of conformity to God's word is sin. And thought, word, deed, attitude, actions. I don't have to look inwardly to go, okay, I think that feeling I'm having, I think that's, I think that's coming from my flesh. Do I, do I ask the person sitting next to me in the church? Hey, I'm currently having this feeling. Do you think that that's a, do you think it's a sinful feeling or do you think that's coming from God? I'm not, I'm not liking this sermon. Do you think that's a, that's being a, that's a critical spirit arising from my flesh? Or do you think that's maybe God telling me that this sermon is no good? How, How about this? Stop looking inwardly and look to God's word. What is God? How was God's word judge the sermon that you're hearing? Oh, I don't. This is so okay. Man, sometimes I, sometimes I think, I, I, clearly in, in 2022, the word Baptist no longer means anything. That's the thing. You can't even worry about the name on the building anymore. The, 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 there used to be a time names on the building gave you some indication of the theology to be found within the name on the building now means nothing. It means nothing. I mean, it's like all churches should just be called church because there's the, the names no longer carry any theological distinction because this to me sounds like it could come from Bethel. I I, I know you're going to think that's crazy, but it, it sounds like it could come from a charismatic church.
1: This isn't God. God is not the one who is stirring me to think this way right now. And when you can identify it, you can yield to the Spirit of God.
0: So uh, now, so now, when I start thinking, I got—is that God stirring me to think that way, or is it my flesh? Wait, who is stirring me to think this way? I, like, how are you ever going? You you'll drive yourself to the point of insanity trying to figure that out. What I have to do is any I have to take every thought captive and compare it to God's word. It's, it's not like I. Got, so who's doing the stirring? It, it doesn't matter. Everything that arises from within me is mixed with these two conflicting things: spirit and flesh. So I can't look inwardly to figure out who's doing the stirring. I just look at what's the thought. Compare it to God's word.
1: And let the Spirit of God possess your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. And then when he does that, then is when the peace descends on our spirits. And then there's the openness of our spirits to impression that comes from the presence of God. And may the Lord always give that to us. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles this morning, please, to the third chapter of the book of Philippians. We're going to be reading together three verses. These are verses that we have begun considering, and the portion of them that we're giving our attention to today is probably one of the most important statements on Christian living to be found in all of the Scripture. And I think you'll see why that is the case as we read these together. I'm going to read verses 12 through 14 toward the conclusion of this extended passage in which the apostle speaks of his own spiritual experience autobiographically. Verse 12. Paul writes, Having said what I have said, I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm paraphrasing that, of course, but now read verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And the words that we're focused upon this morning are the last of verse 13 and all of 14. Let's read them again forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, this morning, what I'm proposing is that those words are some of the most important in all of the New Testament when it comes to the entirety of our Christian lives. You can almost say that if we had nothing else at all, it would be enough to counsel and to govern us the remainder of our Christian lives. And one reason that I'm proposing that this morning is because there's a sense in which these words encompass the entirety of our lives. And you can see that in the way that the Apostle Paul draws a kind of a two-fold division. It- okay,
0: so it's just weird because his introduction really doesn't have anything to do with, I guess, with, with his text. And he seems to kind of contradict himself because he's already established that the most important thing is sensing God's presence. Now he's saying, no, we just need, we just need Philippians 2 or Philippians 3 13 and 14 and I think the two vital practices is obviously forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward. Okay, that I could I that that's something I could get behind. That that's a, that's an interesting concept. The two vital practices in living your Christian life is forgetting what lies behind and pushing forward. Now, I don't know if that's where he's going to go with that, but it seems but it, it sounds like to him that he's already established a third vital practice. You've got to sense God's presence because if you can't sense God's presence, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters in a church. So he's already. It's almost like he's preaching two sermons now. I have done the exact same thing so many times. I do not want to be super critical in that sense because here's what happens: as preachers, you're you're you know, hopefully as a preacher, you're constantly listening to sermons. You're reading. You're studying. You're reading. You're studying. You're reading. You're reading. You're studying. You're reading. You're reading. You're reading. You're reading. You're just you're feeding, feeding, feeding as much as you can on God's word. And then when you get to the pulpit, it's like. Boom, man, you want, you cannot wait. I mean, at least for me, I can't speak for other people. It's like a fire inside of me. And I can't like, you know, yesterday I wasn't able to preach or teach. You can't even imagine how frustrated and irritated and angry and mad and upset I was last night. I, I was besides my, I could not sleep. I It drove me nuts. I should have just driven here to the church at midnight and just turned on the microphone. I can't, oh, I can't function that way. I can't live that way. The more I bring in, the more I want, I want to, I want to speak. I want to teach it. I want to share it. So sometimes you get to the pulpit and it's like, man, obviously this presence of God idea was very prominent in his mind. So he couldn't get to what he wanted to get to until he got that out of the way. I've done the exact same thing and you end up with two sermons. And you're like, what did I do wrong there? So I don't want to be critical there, but it just seems like, Hey, here's this, mo- the most critical thing. It is the presence of God. All right, now let's get to our sermon. The mo- the two most important things. <laughs> the, the most important things is right here in Philippians. It's like wait a minute, wait a minute. You've already given me the first most important critical thing. So in a roundabout way if we all now it's always easy listening to pick up the problem when you're preaching it and your mind it's all working out perfectly and you think it's great until you get in the car and you drive home from church and you're listening to your sermon going I'm an idiot I'm an idiot I'm an idiot look I'm going to do when I get when I get ready to leave here in a minute I'm going to start listening to everything that I've done this morning I'm going to be like ah oh, I messed that up ah oh, I messed that up and so yeah so I understand that but I just want to focus on the presence of God thing here because that that's just what immediately like what, what is going on? What is going on? So I'm just going to read a little bit here from an article just to show you how convoluted this concept is. This comes from Christianity.com. This was published in, uh, in 2019. Uh, and it also showed up at Crosswalk.com. So it showed up on a number of, of, of pretty well-known Christian websites. What does it mean to be in the presence of God? Now, listen here. Have you ever seen a room light up the moment a famous person walks into it? There is something intangible, yet very real about their magnetism. Their larger than life persona mysteriously changes you, maybe even changes you and makes you want to capture even a momentary smile from them. That's an an inadequate picture of what it's sometimes, what it's sometimes, not always like, to be in the presence of God. <laughs> so to be in the presence of God is like being in a room with a famous person. <laughs> really? That's that's what it feels like? That's what it feels like. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. I, I've already <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that. Uh, they, they go on to say, the, uh, they, they, uh, to, oh, in fact, okay, I'm just going to a different article here. They go here to the uh, the Hebrew word um, for uh, which they take from Genesis 3, 8, which is panim. I believe is how you say the, the Hebrew word, panim. It comes from Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. They say the most uh, common Hebrew term for presence is panim, which is also translated face, um, implying a close and personal encounter with the Lord. All right, so there's, so they're saying this is where we get the concept is Genesis 3, 8, all right? We don't have time to get into that now because I'm already at 57 minutes, but they're gonna give us what they believe are six truths about God's presence. And let's just look at, we'll just briefly mention them and then I'm gonna read the last paragraph here. All right, here we go. Number one, God's presence is everywhere, all right? Now, that's one thing we can all agree on. God is omnipresent. He is present everywhere. We agree with that. Clearly, there's some, at times, there seems to be a distinction between his omnipresence and some kind of a special presence where he's special in a specific way at a specific, for a specific reason, like him being present in the midst of church discipline. That seems to be a special presence and different than, say, um, his omnipresence, right? I, I think we can agree there, but okay, God's presence is everywhere, all right? Number two, God's presence fills heaven, All right, number three, God's presence also fills the earth. Number four, God's presence takes up residence in every Christian. Now, that's I think that's a special presence in some way, shape, or form. Number five, God can reveal his presence to anyone in any manner he so chooses. Now, he can reveal his presence in any way he chooses. Now, the first one they give is the burning bush, all right, Um, that's the way they get, get, that's the the way they, they refer to it here. Um, they, they mentioned some other situations. I'm going to be very cautious here. And I know this goes to my theology that, you know, charismatics get upset with, but that's okay. I, I don't, I don't know how God reveals his presence to us today. I, 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 to me, God has revealed his presence to us in the person of Christ. And I think ultimately right here in his word right? Anything else becomes subjective. Because I've heard lots of people say, oh, I felt the presence of God. And I'm like, you were in the middle of a worship service that they completely taught heresy. How was God present there? You should have felt the presence of his conviction and judgment. Not like I, I, that to me becomes subjective nonsense. He can manifest himself any way he wants. But I think that he manifests himself today in his word. That's the way I'm going to stick with. I think everything else just becomes nonsense. All right, uh, then uh, number six, when God reveals, now this is crazy. When God reveals his presence to you, you'll know and feel it. All right, so when God does reveal it to you, you're going to know and feel it. Now, my first question is, wait a minute. Is it possible that I could be deceived Thinking I'm feeling it when it's actually not God's presence. It's not God. I'll, I'll give you an example, and this 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 really 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 had a profound impact on me early 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 in my Christian life. I I I'm, I think the book was being talked about by a bunch of the girls in my high school, right? Because I, I in, in high school. I always hung out with the girls. I, I, I never, I never really hung out with the guy. I always hung out with girls every chance I got, not but not with guys. And so, if wherever the girls were, that's where I would typically hang out with because I just, well, I liked girls better than guys. That kind of makes sense. So, so for example, um, I I went to school in the middle of nowhere, West Texas, and my options was I could go to agriculture class, ag. I guess ag I I don't know what in the world I was going to be doing with animals and I'm like, "Ah, this is not good." So I'm like, "What can I do?" And I said, "Well, the only other class going on at this time is home ec." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll take home ec." And they were like, "Well, no guy in this school has ever taken home ec." This is back in the 80s, so things were different back then. I'm like, "Well, I don't care. I can be in a class with a bunch of guys talking about cows or I could be in a classroom with a bunch of girls talking about cooking. Okay, I think I'll be in the classroom with the girls. So I'll never forget walking into home ec that day and the teacher looking at me like, you're in the wrong class. I'm like, oh no, I'm not. I'm definitely in the right class, right? So, but there was this book going around all the girls in high school to say all, I say all of it to get to this. And it was called The Beautiful Side of Evil. And the book absolutely messed my brain up. It was a story about all of these people who experienced these absolute amazing divine healings, right? They, they, Just crazy stories of these people who experienced these these healings and in, in, in all kinds of different environments, right? All kinds of different environments. And basically before the book is over, the conclusion was that all of these divine healings were not the work of God. They were a work of demons. It was the work of evil spirits doing these things in order to deceive people. And that book messed me up big time Because the reason it messed me up was I was like, well, wait a minute then. How do I know what's from God and how do I know, uh, how do I know what's not from God? How do I know when God is present and how do I know when it's, I'm not being deceived? How do I know that a miracle is from God or a miracle could be possibly being worked by Satan? And when you get to the book of Revelation, you realize that the way people are going to be deceived is by signs and wonders and, and miracles. I'm like, well, wait a minute. And then you got in Matthew seven, people who are like, we did, we cast out demons. We did all of these amazing works. And he's like, depart from me. I never knew you. So whatever they were doing, they were not doing it from the power of God. I'm like, well, then this is a, like, it's like rolling the dice. Okay. Well, was that God or was that Satan? Was like, how do I know the difference? So then that's when I realized, wait a minute, it's got to be the Bible or everything else makes no sense to me because you can feel the presence of something and it not be God. So how do I know? But they're telling you if God, you're going to know it, but how can I trust what I know? How can I trust what I feel? Because my, 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 what I know and what I, Feel clearly is not always an accurate perception of what is real. They go on to say this Remember the electricity that races through you when someone famous walks by you? You can't miss it. Ditto, when God draws near you, when He does, imagine He is looking right at you, smiling. That's one of the best ways to feel blessed, isn't it? These experiences are sometimes called moments of transcendence. You usually can't predict when God will make his presence known to you. It could be at a huge evangelistic event, citywide prayer gathering, or a Christian concert. It could be while you're walking outside, looking up at the night sky, or watching a magnificent sunrise or sunset. Then again, it could be when you're working, doing God's will, or spending time with dear Christian friends but I can't know, but I can't know when it will happen, should it encourage you, but I can't know when it will happen, should encourage you. It should encourage you to think about God, meditate on these truths and pay attention to what you're feeling. Never waste a moment of transcendence by praising what's created. Instead, praise the creator. You can experience God's presence here and there throughout your life. It's not one and done Heaven alone is proof of that. I literally don't know what any of that means. (laughs) I literally don't have a clue what any, the best they can come up with is, we don't know when it's going to happen, but when it happens, it's gonna feel like you're in the room with a famous person. It can happen anywhere. Now, all the things that they described are things that would immediately have possible impact on your emotions. Seeing a beautiful sunrise, maybe late at night, at a concert, like all of these things are things that are gonna play on your emotions anyway, all right? I, I've been in some amazing either sporting events where just absolutely something amazing happens and everyone loses their mind and it's like this crazy, awesome experience to be a part of. I've been in some concerts where I've experienced, it's like crazy, I've, obviously I, I could talk all day about being in certain places for wrestling events, and have these emotions. I never said that was God. God was present there. No, it's because there's there's all the things that that play on your emotions. I don't know what any of this means, but I think it's dangerous. That's what I'm going to say. I'm gonna argue that it's dangerous. That we rely on an emotion and a feeling to determine if God is present. If you rely on an emotion of feeling to determine if God is present in a church, in a sermon. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, you're going to miss it. The prophets showed up to Israel over and over and over again. God was present with them in some kind of a special way. He was, he was revealing things to them. He, they, he spoke and over and over and over, Israel was like, God's not with this person. This person's a liar. And then the false prophets would come and say, peace, peace be with you. No judgment. And they were like, oh, God's with that person. Well, wait a minute. They were wrong. Jesus was God. I want to make this very clear. Jesus was God. He walked on the earth and people did not perceive the presence of God around them. They, so, so that means God can literally be present and people don't recognize it. You say, well, a, a Christian would recognize it. Well, you, you're, we, we would hope we would. But why are we trying to figure out going, okay, do do I feel it? Do I feel God? No, what needed to be determined is what Jesus said. Was it true? His actions, did he demonstrate it? He was without sin. Like he preached God's word. Like everything else becomes subjective nonsense. It just makes no sense to me. I don't even know what this pastor was trying to say. He didn't. Look, he had the opportunity to explain it and he didn't. Because I don't know if there's an explanation. This is just this weird... It reminds me of Catholic mysticism is what it reminds me of. Uh, the, the, within the Catholic tradition, there was this major influence of mysticism, especially with some, some of the early church fathers, sometimes referred to as the desert fathers. You could sometimes have a high level of mysticism in, into that. And when you get throw in that mysticism, which then you can go to the charismatic world, I, it just... We, 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 everyone talks about feeling it and I don't, I, here's what I know. I can, I can, I can experience something and I will test, Let put it this way. I will never deter, I'm going to say it this way. Never determine the godliness or correctness of something based off of feeling. Never judge anything based off an experience. You take every feeling and every experience and you judge it according to God's word. I don't care if I, I someone comes into Ovalo, Texas in the next five minutes and stands outside and calls fire from heaven. I don't care if they're able to do 50 miracles. I don't determine God's presence based off a feeling or an experience. I'm gonna take what that person d- says and test it to God's word. And if it doesn't match God's word, then I reject it. God's word has to be the standard. Everything else is objective. Everything else is feelings. And feelings will lie to you every single time. Feelings will mislead you. Feelings will destroy you. Feelings will, you cannot live your life based off feeling. Feeling is not the correct engine of your train. If think of your life as a train, Right, the engine cannot be emotions. The engines have. I know in most trains today you don't see a caboose, but it has to be the last car on the train. Right? It can't be the engine. The engine has to be truth, God's word, faith. It has to be something other than emotion, feelings. What a what a nonsensical like. That's a non Christian way of approaching everything. That that to me just leads to to spiritual. Chaos. All right. Well, I have to stop because my daughter, uh, I'm supposed to have the car back to my daughter. And if I don't get my car back to my daughter, well, then I'm going to be in trouble. So I'm going to have to stop. Then I'm not going to feel very good. So hopefully, after three hours of doing teaching today, I will leave here with some better feeling than I had yesterday, even though I didn't even get close to half the things I needed to get to. We needed to get to another. I know I did a news clip about. You know, you can't teach anything that can offend someone. I, I, I hope that was helpful. I hope that was helpful, Heather. Thank you. Um, I, I, I know I did a lot of other things today. I know I did a lot of other things today, but hopefully it was beneficial. I wanted to get back to the Bible study exercise because, uh, yeah. And uh, Will, thank you for doing the homework. I was gonna share. Uh, you, Will needs to share his homework in the uh, Discord channel. So Will, if you'll, you need to share all of the verses you found um, in the Discord channel because I think that will be helpful for everyone. And we can keep everyone focused on that. So um, I'll have to stop there. Uh, the, the, the goal for Sunday is, for, I'm afraid to even say the words, but we've got to finish 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I, I, there's so much there that I really want everyone, I hope this challenge to approach this verse in a radically different way is being beneficial. I've received a lot of positives from it, um, I, I I just wish it Sunday would have went the way it was supposed to. It's just so funny that I introduce a Bible study exercise on hard times, difficult times, right? And handling them the correct way. And then everything has gone wrong. Everything has gone, I mean, Sunday, everything went wrong. Sunday, Wednesday was a total disaster. I mean, and it's, and I, I all all I can say is, why did I choose to—I I decided to teach on a subject that I clearly can't—I don't even know how to practice because, man, I got frustrated and frustrated. But I want to get to 1 Corinthians 10, 13 because no matter what happens, I, I think that verse is so misinterpreted that I'm trying to offer a completely alternative interpretation based off the context. And I think everything is—I is. is I think the answer to 1 Corinthians ten thirteen is— the verses that precede it. I think it's those examples Paul gives. Those that's the that's the answer to 1 Corinthians 10:13. And it's not found in us, it's found in Christ. And so, and I think each one of those examples there's something strange in at least 3 of them. You know, drinking the idol, what in the world is that? Atonement made by incense and not by blood? What in the world is that? Looking at a snake on a pole? All of everything that happens uh, oh, oh there's only one that really seems to be straightforward. Well, actually not even that one, because I think, yeah, I actually, I think all four, I think all of the examples, I think they're four, all, all the examples, none of, there's something strange in all of them. So, um, I think, I think we're onto something, but all right, I gotta go. I I don't want to stop. Oh, it's very frustrating. Um, I did get news from Sermon Audio themselves that the new app is coming maybe this week, maybe next week. It's going to be beta. I don't know if they're going to let everyone do a public beta testing or only a, a few people. If, if they will let me, I'm going to do it because I still want to see if they're going to get that app up to 2022 standards where it will actually function like a podcasting app should because currently the app is, it, no. So I, I would be, if they get it fixed that way, then that could be a really positive, positive thing. And I'm still working on the Church One app, getting everything over to the different series. It's, man. It's hard work. They pulled everything in from the RSS feeds, but those RSS feeds, it just, there's no, nothing is a sign. No scripture, no, it it just, everything is pulled in from the RSS feed, but unless I go fix it, it doesn't show up under a series. So um, I'm working on all of that, but it's taking a lot of time. But I'll stop right there. Thanks for uh, guys for participating. Hopefully the previous hours were beneficial as well. Everyone have a great day. I got to get home or my daughter is going to be upset with me. Everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening. God bless.